Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. I see news this week. We're getting into the topics. Sam Edwards is back. We go deep into Corona and how it's affecting the cannabis industry. Hint, hint, it's been good for the cannabis industry. We also talk about how it's gonna affect harvest in 2020. Talk a little bit about what Sam's been up to, doing some private consulting with some big grows up north. It's a great episode, guys. We're talking about all the topics you care about. I learned a ton, you're gonna learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Well, Sam, great to see you again, friend. Uh, thanks for joining us on this remote edition of Investing in Cannabis. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. I'm happy to be on. Um, let's just, before, we got a bunch of topics. We're going to do the IC News thing here. But before we jump into it, let's just get a little update on you. I know you're working on a, a new project that you were talking about that's going to go through the summer. You want to you talk about that or as um, much as you can? Yeah, yeah, we're just, uh, you know, Lake County is uh, setting itself to be the, the Santa Barbara of the north. Um, and so there's a lot of really large canopy projects up there. And so, yeah, I've got, I've got one of them. And that's really where your background is. Today you do more like private equity type stuff, but you were always a grow consultant originally, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started cultivating in my college dorm room back in 2008. Um, and... Uh, yeah, just scaled to large scale and all the way up to 2017. And so um, I, uh, I'm happy to get back into cultivation management. So this represents an interesting skill set, right? The combination of growing and business means you have a great opinion on all of these topics. And again, one of my go-tos in the industry, and you give it real, which I think is an important part of why we started this show. Um, we're going to start at the top. Somebody told me once upon, not, once upon a time not to bury the lead. So yeah. let's talk about Corona. Um, uh, George of Bespoke, you know, Bespoke, the uh, short-term lending company. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, they sponsored some episodes. Very nice of them. We had them on the show. George, the CEO, said um, that Corona has been good for the cannabis industry. Um, and so I want to start with that inflammatory point. Uh, we're going to do our best to use some data and back things up. But just overarchingly, is that true? Is Corona, has it been good for the cannabis industry? I think it, it, it was, it was, there's always, it depends how you want to look at it. It was good. <laughs> uh, it was good that um, we were deemed an essential business. Uh, it was good that there was a giant boost in sales. Um, but those have since kind of tapered off quite a bit. Um, and I think that, um, regardless uh, if you want to look at the secondary impacts of corona being the the uh, recession that we're in and, you know coming up on probably about 30 million americans um uh, in unemployment um when you look at that uh it'll be kind of interesting to see what the uh, secondary and tertiary uh, effects of covid are to the cannabis industry well that was a very diplomatic answer you just gave um Okay. Well, let me, let's see if we can back it up and still see if you can maintain that straight face. Uh, I read a Cowan uh, stat that 17% increase in March over March, 2019. Now I've heard other things that said it was much greater than that. Do you have a feeling for at least if the whole industry hasn't been helped, what's the top line difference? What do you think? 
I mean, a lot of people are buying, you know, they have a lot more time on their hands to smoke weed, uh, which is awesome. Uh, I think uh, probably you and I may have, uh, be finding ourselves with that much more time too. You know, I, I don't think I've increased my consumption, but that's, I'm not a good, I'm not a good uh, test case. Yeah. So, you know, there, there may be that uptick in demand, but uh, it's, you know, demand for what exactly? Um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, you're seeing the edibles were kind of a, a, a huge jump in edibles. Um, but overall, I'm uh, not so sure that uh, as we go on through this year, um, We'll see how how that demand uh, remains. Um, I, you know, it's just uh, if you can, you know, as you, a lot of people smoke weed alone, you know, and it, if you drink alone, that might be a little weird, right? Um, but smoking, you know, smoking cannabis alone is is not a not seen as a weird thing in, in the industry, um, and so uh, it's obviously uh, on a on a per dose basis far cheaper. Um, than uh, than alcohol, um, and from that standpoint, you could make a lot of uh, inferences about um, demand and consumption uh, as we go through this uh, recession and unemployment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, um, sometimes I prefer to smoke alone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true story. Do you have you seen any other competing numbers to that seventeen percent number um, that are bigger or smaller, or how accurate you think that number is? I haven't seen anything that's larger than that. Um, I thought that, I thought that I saw somewhere that we we saw that roughly that same decline um, as the following weeks after that. Got it. Okay. Um, Eric brought up an interesting question, producer Eric, about how much do you think has shifted to delivery versus uh, obviously the dispensaries are open. They've been deemed essential, which is a victory alone. Yeah. Um, but in addition, do you think delivery has given an uptake? I mean, is flower company seeing a big benefit here? Like are there models that are doing better in this environment? You know, I don't really know. Uh, I'm sure delivery um, has probably, you know, it's had to have seen an increase. Um, I, I spoke to one of my friends that, um, has a, uh, you know, pretty nice brand in the, in the California industry and, um, they have a distribution license and they, they, when it first started, they're like, we're scrambling for delivery drivers. Um, and that was one of their, one of their choke points. Um, mm -hmm. so I don't know if that's, uh, maybe they're shifting, uh, employees over into that sector, whatever yeah. other, other areas that are business. I don't know. Interesting. Um, so despite the top headline of sales growth in this very short amount of time, uh, the cannabis industry has been suffering for quite some time now. Um, so much so that even Newsom, good old Newsom, he's paying attention. And he came out and said, well, you can't get an SBA loan. So we're going to try to give some tax help. And I think for some companies, it amounted to a lot of difference. Um, how do you feel about California weighing in specifically on tax help for, for weed companies? Um, any help is awesome. Um, I'd say that first. Um, I think the overarching issue though is a little deeper than, um, just, a you know, um, saying pushing back, you know, state filings till July and issues, things like that. Um, I think the, the core of it is, you know, we've talked about the tax issue before, um, on, I think on the last time uh, we spoke and if, if you look at what wins in recessions, meaning low priced high dose, uh, products. Um, not, I'm not talking about 65, $70 rates of premium. 
I'm talking about, you know, the seven, you know, the seven grams for 40 bucks. Uh, Old foul. THC Pacific product. stone. Yeah. And when you look at that, you know, if you want to look at it as a, like, for instance, like say you're a, you're a low cost producer of outdoor and, and lower end greenhouse product. And, um, you know, the, uh, the harvest tax is a, uh, you know, it, it has a dramatic increase on low price product because it's, it's a straight flat fee by weight. So when you look at it from indoor versus outdoor, it, it dramatically impacts outdoor cultivators at a, at a higher, uh, higher rate. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you look at if, if, if that, those products are what we're going to see in higher velocity and, 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 you know, taking a little bit more market share, then you can inspect that you can, you know, infer that the, the tax rate is actually increasing, not decreasing based on total volume of uh, revenue sales. Um, I think that that's, uh, that's really unfortunate. Um, that that is, uh, you know, we just need to get rid of the harvest tax altogether. Um, it's, it's poorly implemented. And, uh, it's, you know, if you're, for instance, if you're, uh, let's say this, like if you're selling an eighth for $10, let's just hypothetically say $10, your, your wholesale price to the, to the retailer is $10 as a producer. And, uh, and that's packaged branded eighth. And you have your distribution costs involved. Um, and so say, you know, you're looking at, $8 back to the producer of that $8 for that eight. I mean, how much is regulatory burden? You know, is that, and how much is, how much is uh, the tax rate? I mean, the, the worst part about it, I think is that it's, you know, it's over 50%. Um, and so you're really looking at it that, uh, at the end of the day, when you review um, P and L's and everything else with these businesses, is it, um, you know, out of that $8 that comes to the, the, uh, to the producer, I don't know, maybe, 25 cents to 50 cents might be coming to the bottom line, depending on yeah. how they run their operation and what their cost of goods are. Yeah. Which is really dramatic. It's really dramatic. I mean, I'm trying to think of other businesses that would have margins that small. Well, it, it, it's all based on scale and that's, you know, the way that people approached, um, you know, what was a, a 10,000 square foot license and, you know, people, you know, looked at that as, as medium size and now, looking at a one acre operation is I, you know, I have had for years thought that a one acre operation was minimum viable uh, square footage. Um, now I'm looking at that as more like three acres is probably minimum viable uh, canopy mm -hmm. uh, for an operation. And you really just got to hit, you really just got to cultivate a completely different way than what people have in the past, you know, native soils, um, you know, really, really not, uh, not doing what, uh, what we've done in the past. So I think one of the really interesting developing stories here is sort of what's going to happen in the 2020 harvest. Um, you have any predictions there in terms of oversupply or um, any thoughts on that? What's really interesting is seeing um, how many people are running auto flower genetics. Um, and just like real quick to the, to the uh, person that doesn't, uh, isn't real familiar with it, there's like the scientific genomes of cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, and then cannabis ruderalis. Ruderalis uh, is the, um, the autoflower, and, and a lot of really solid genetic um, cannabis breeding companies have have uh, done done some uh, crossbreeding so that you can actually get some pretty good uh, high testing THC uh, genetics in autoflower form. Um, and so, what what autoflower allows you to do is not be subject to the um, photo period of light. So you can plant, you know, do biomass crops, and usually they are done for biomass, but there's some really good quality ones coming out. 
that uh, you wouldn't necessarily just throw into you know distillate production. They actually would be good for you know high-end extracts or also for um, for uh, pre-rolls. And I've actually seen some good enough that would actually make it into a glass jar. Um, and so it's pretty interesting to see what. Um, but what's interesting about it is with kind of a new era, you know, getting back to real agriculture, um, you're seeing you know massive open fields, multi-acre plantings, right? Uh, row cropping of cannabis. And you're seeing a lot of people throwing out autoflowers because what it allows you to do is it reduces your pest pressures um, by going from autoflower seed. You can, you can direct sow um, seeds into the soil. And so the, the, one of the largest choke points, not just from an investment side of capital, but also you know, from, from an actual operation side is just having enough dry space. I mean, it takes a massive amount of square footage and you know, obviously capital to, to build that square footage to dry cannabis properly. Um, and, uh, so the, so it's been interesting seeing that, like, you know, how many farmers I talk to and also the, the, uh, the nurseries about how many seeds they're selling, um, of autoflowers. And there's only, you know, there's, there's probably about 20 autoflower genetics, uh, that I see, you know, there's a real common, like three or four that everyone seemed to be running. Um, and I feel like there's just going to be a massive oversupply of autoflower production and uh, not enough drying space for it. Um, and so, you know. And so- is that because cultivators have sort of like just done uh, the largest scale of the first phase possible and decided, oh, well, we'll figure it out later? Kind of. Uh, I think a lot of people are just planting, hoping that um, they'll get a contract with an extract company or they'll do biomass for something. And, Got it. Um, and you know, when you sign those contracts, you're just hoping that someone's going to come pick it up, right? Yeah. Um, because if you don't have the dry space to process it, what are you going to do with it? Right. You're um, sure. And there's just really not enough dry space out there. So and how do you prevent them from showing up and saying the price is half now? You have so, right? you have so little leverage, you know? Yeah. It's a massive amount of leverage. Yeah. I mean, you just saw in the grape, in, you know, in the grape world last fall, a lot of people didn't even harvest their grapes because mm. the grape price was so low. Didn't make, didn't justify the, the cost mm. of the harvest. Mm. Um, Crazy. Yeah, so it, it's just really, it's really fascinating. I don't know exactly what's going to happen this fall, but I imagine biomass prices are going to be extremely low um, for extracts. I think if, if you can grow good enough autos for, for pre-rolls and, and possible for bag flour, I think that price will still stay pretty good. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really wild. I think it's so frustrating when consumers hear that biomass, which is a fancy name for not that great weed and trim, um, is so cheap and growing cannabis is so cheap. And yet when it gets to the retail, it's so fucking expensive. And I just think like, obviously I understand how that works, but it's so frustrating and confusing for the normal guy. That's like, how is my eighth $70? You know, how did we get there? What, what's hard is like for a 70, $70 eight. I mean, that's indoor. Um, you know, there's a lot of costs that go into that electricity yeah. and all that, but for like outdoor, I mean, if you want to grow really good quality outdoor, you know, it's a lot of labor. Labor is one of your highest expenses. And then obviously, you know, especially with security and everything else that goes in, goes involved with that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, to try to, to, to try to produce a sub hundred dollar, you know, cost of goods pound is, is very difficult. Uh huh. Yeah. And what do you think the biggest obstacle to that is labor? Labor is one of them. Um, real estate costs is another. Mm-hmm. Um, how you're handling all of that, and then obviously um, you know, 
you know, building, you know, multi-million dollar buildings just to dry it. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully two of those are short-term expenditures, right? Yeah. And, but again, I don't foresee the time where that, uh, that scale trickles down to the price of cannabis being efficiently cheaper. Do you? I don't know. I think, I think the supply and demand is going to drive it, uh, this fall. I think that, that, um, we're just going to see who can produce it, who can produce quality and who can't. I think that's what it's going to come down to because quality cannabis is, um, you know, is always going to be able to be sold before non-quality cannabis. Um, so I think it's really going to come down to quality, um, first. Um, and then, uh, and obviously your price point second, I mean, you're, if you're producing, you know, 20 to 50,000 pounds of cannabis, um, you know, you better have a pretty good, a pretty good supply chain built for that. We talked about how the cannabis industry has been suffering. I want to get a little deeper into that specifically. There is this huge accounts receivable issue. Um, you said maybe a hundred million in outstanding say, AR. Yeah, I'd say probably between like the top 10 companies and brands in the state, which probably about 100 to 150 million in outstanding AR. Which is a big number for an industry in California, which is what? Five billion? It's, it's massive. I mean, um, and it's a really, um, you know, when you look at the M&A side, I mean, you know, how is, how is that being handled? A lot of people aren't buying off on, on, the, on the AR side. So this one article that we both read, it was kind of funny what they wanted to do about it. It was almost like a McCarthyism or, you know, like they want to make a list of brands that don't pay and then create essentially what amounts to like a cannabis credit score for brands, right? Like you, you're not a good actor in the industry. Is this the right way to deal with this problem? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily, um, I guess the issue with, with what happened with AR and why it went so high last year and why it is, is still out there is because people are using terms as a, as a means to gain shelf space. Um, and we're, uh, we're extending terms based on the amount of capital that they had on hand to, to operate on. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's bad business. You know, if you look at the rest of the world, um, you know, terms, uh, if you were uh, a good example is a, a good friend of mine that um, sources a lot of product uh, from China for Amazon, right? This is just a regular, uh, regular old business. And, um, you know, when, you know, when there's issues or what happened with last year, with the, you know, the beginning of the, the tariffs and the trade war, um, it was like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, not make such large orders. I'm going to make smaller, more frequent orders um, to be more effective with my capital with an unknown, you know, unknown volatility. And, you know, their, uh, the Chinese suppliers were instantly like, we'll give you better terms, you know you don't need to pay a hundred percent at time of shipping, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of things like that, that, um, that, so the cannabis industry used those to their advantage uh, based on how much, you know, how much they had in their war chest of, of treasury. Um, and it's coming to bite a lot of people, uh, in the, you know, in, in the behind now. I've asked this question on the show a number of times, maybe to you as well, but uh, is legal cannabis working? It's, 
it's going to be interesting this fall. Um, I think it's working for a certain subset of players with large canopies, with efficient operations um, that um, experience the cost of capital that was, um, you know, with a, a weighted average cost of capital that wasn't, you know, just all debt that was, was equity and debt. Um, if that, um, if that was, you know, sub, sub 12%, um, they may be doing pretty well. Um, but for the rest of the industry, it's a giant shakeout. Um, I think there's kind of an unknown that's going on right now about this fall, um, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like there's a lot of when going back to low price products, um, succeeding, I mean, how many people, I mean, and not just, uh, in California, but in other legal States as well. I mean, how people, how many people are doing a massive, you know, um, coronavirus garden. Everyone has all this time, you know, it's like I was picking up strawberries and tomato starch for my own garden last week. And it's like, they're picked clean. You know, um, you look across the country and everyone is throwing in a massive garden in, in their backyard. And how many people are going to throw in a couple seeds and grow a couple plants too, and not right. go to the store to buy their, buy their low price. Right. Yep. Very fair point. Uh, I still don't know how big that percentage is. I mean, you, you remember the, the wave of grow it at home devices that came out and um, yeah, I don't know. It's still kind of hard, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I grow, I grow weed in my apartment, but I'm not, again, I'm not a good example. Like I think yeah. most people like they can get a vape pen and it's good for like a month. Yeah. I think another thing is I think, you know, you have one person on your street that throws in six plants and they grow, you know, they grow yeah. 12, 18 Absolutely. pounds and all of a sudden, you know, there's your neighborhood, you know, but at the, at the same time, like, I think that if, uh, if you're an experienced cultivator with a large canopy size, um, you can do really well in the, in the greenhouse and an outdoor market. Yeah. Um, give an estimate. 2020 is a crazy year for a lot of people, but for cannabis in particular, and, and sort of like the headline of this couple month period like, I don't think it really makes that big of a difference ultimately. And it's, it's like, it sort of, it looks like they're doing well, but everybody, like we know they're not. Um, so my question is like, how many of these smaller brands are going to die off this year? Like at some point it's got to catch up to them. Right. I don't know. Um, it's, it's all based on everyone's personal circumstances. I mean, I know some smaller brands that, you know, they own their real estate. They're not playing, they're not paying high lease rates. They're, you know, they're not, uh, they keep a really tight ship and they're probably going to be fine, but they don't outsource any of their, um, you know, they do all their own compliance. Uh, you know, they don't, they operate a very efficient business um, and, and they're in survival mode. And I, I, I fully believe that they will survive. Um, but I think it's the, I think it's the medium tier people that have kind of maybe swung a little too far for what their capital on hand was. I think it's no, uh, it's no surprise to anybody that, um, the cost of capital this year, if you can even get it is going to be insane. I mean, there's so much, there's so much opportunity for investment outside of cannabis right now yep. um, that, uh, that unless the investment is very enticing, um, it's, it's, it's I not mean, yeah. How do you compete with the S and P 500 is down, you know, 30%. How, how can you compete with that? Like on a risk reward ratio, it's so hard. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and, and the real, and like no one's, no one knows what's going on with real estate prices right now. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, the lease buyback to free up capital for operations is, is kind of, you know, tricky because the, no one's really 
figured out what, how far real estate prices are going to fall as well. Yep. Um, well, one of the continued uncertainties is political. Um, and given that we're in an election year, um, let's talk a little bit about best outcomes for cannabis. Um, first of all, I, I think in years past, you would have always said, well, it's better if the Democrat gets elected for cannabis. But I'm not so sure at this point because Trumpito is not really a Republican. He's a, he's a Trumper. So, um, and isn't it, I, I think it's possible that he uses it some way uh, towards the end to try to pull some, some liberal votes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's really unknown. Um, I think a greater, you know, how, how many of these stimulus stimulus packages are going to have to get signed by, by Congress. Um, I don't know. It could be probably at least two more. Um, and if we can get something out of any of those packages, that would be awesome. Uh, I don't know what the presidential election is going to hold. Um, I, I will just say that um, we need federal legalization as an industry. Uh, you know, we've always, you know, sometimes we've kind of been like, let's push it off a little bit because it allows people to, you know, uh, smaller businesses succeed in markets. And I've never felt that way, but yeah, yeah I know people that have narrative. said it, you know, people have, have, have been like, Oh, you know, it's better that we wait a little bit while our business gets bigger and, and stuff. And, you know, we need it so bad. I mean, we need it, you know, we need it this fall, but, um, but, uh, you know, we, we need it next year too. Yeah. When I was doing, when we were doing prop 64 episodes, people would hate on us. How can you support that? And, um, all, all this shit. Um, anyway, uh, look, it's not perfect, but legal is better than illegal. <laughs> I, yeah. I believe, I believe. Yeah. And it's, it's been really hard for a lot of folks, but, um, we have something and hopefully we can try to change it, you know, versus having nothing. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, I really can't envision it being part of the current stimulus packages. That'd be great, but I don't see that. Well, I mean, if, if, if we just had banking or if we had some sort of relief or any, any, any movement forward would be, you know, just, yeah. I mean, everybody talks about the safe banking act. How, um, how beneficial would that actually be? I mean, is that enough for, for a period of time? Um, it'd be nice not to have to pay the insane fees to, to properly bank. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not enough for, you know, uh, for the amount of supply that's coming down in, in all the legal states this fall. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, let's shift gears. Talk about you, man. How are you doing in this time of Corona? You, has your cannabis consumption gone up? I know you still have a job, so that's good. Uh, yeah, it's gone up. Um, just mostly just cause in the evenings, you know, I don't, I don't have like a commuter or I'm not working to finish something at 7 PM, you know, or, right. you know, something I can, I can get off work at, at five, five thirty, and, you know, smoke a little more than I usually would before trying to go to bed early. Got it. Um, uh, so what are you doing with yourself other than, other than increasing your cannabis consumption? Um, are you reading more? Are you learning more? Have you picked up any new hobbies? Uh, I've got an awesome vegetable garden. Uh, I've just been doing work around my property. Um, really? Yeah. That's kind of what's interesting about Corona in a, in a macro business sense is that um, it's 
re, it's allowing a lot of people to reprioritize their whole work, their whole life. Uh-huh. And um, I, I think uh, I was reading something on LinkedIn about it. We were talking about it um, in my uh, my MBA program the other day about how people are um, reprioritizing themselves, and then also the people that are that that were laid off, and then also when they do come back to work, are not going to have the same loyalties to their uh, to their company as that they did before. Mm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I think what 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 a lot of what a lot of managers are saying and, and worried about is if we have a decrease in productivity of our existing workforce that comes back because they want they want more work life balance. They're not willing to just do the sixty hours on salary like they were, um, and so then you're paying the same amount, but uh, you're getting less productivity, and mm-hmm. so then that, that again hurts your bottom line, and you're already you know you're already on the ropes. I think what it does is it forces people to hire better. Um, and so I think in a, in a good economy, um, that's about trying harder, right? In a bad economy, economy, I think it's harder, but, um, like I just remember when I've been hired in different jobs, um, they thought ahead of, okay, well, there's some amount of remote in this tech company, you know, whatever startup. And so like, they kind of interviewed me with the idea of like, okay, we're not going to manage him every day. And I think that changes when you allow people to go more remote is you have to essentially have to trust them more. You know, you don't see them all day. You can't yell at them. You don't know if they're wearing pants, you know. Well, and from the employee side, they actually have to produce real valuable results because they can't just be like, well, it took an extra week and I was there all the time. Right. It's like, yeah, but I think it depends on the company culture. Yes, you're speaking from companies that I've been a part of too, which results are what matters. But at the same time, like some of these companies are going to find just new ways to punch the clock. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. like I used to have a uh, boss that he was like, if you're not on Slack, you're not working. And so everybody would just be on Slack. But like, that didn't mean you were working, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that, um, a lot of time, a lot of time is wasted in meetings. You know, I mean, there's that, there's the meme, you know, I, if, if this, if this meeting could have been an email. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I think that there's probably a lot less meetings taking place. Yep. Um, Cause they're not fun. Yeah. Or they're, I mean, it's just travel and everything else. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of forcing a level of efficiency that is going to um, be required to stay in business. Well, I think efficiency is one way to put it. I also think that there's just been a lot lost here though. You yeah. know, like I've had several projects kind of fall apart during this time because, and maybe this is just me, one of my skills is sitting in front of people and convincing them of things. And the phone just isn't the same, you know, it's just not the same as going to lunch and having someone in front of you and, you know, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the hardest thing is, is, um, you know, it's like earlier this week I had my first kind of in-person meetings and stuff. And it was like, you know, we've been working, we we hadn't seen each other in two months, you know? Um, and, uh, it was just kind of like, okay, this is like productive, feels good. We're all on the same page. We're not like, you know, so it's, it, there's a certain amount of in-person uh, stuff that you can't get on the phone. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately. But somehow we've managed to have a good conversation here, friend. 
And yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Good to see your beautiful face. Thanks for weighing in on the topics. We'll have to do it again soon. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Stay safe, stay sane, healthy, all the things. Did you get a cool mask? Uh, I just got one. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had other masks, but I just got a cool one. You know, quarantine, but make it fashion. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. See you soon. <laughs>